morning. Um, man, it is so good to be back here with you today. Uh, yeah, well, good. Uh, I, I know, um, most of you know this, we, Laura and I, along with Bev and Jerry Clark and about 60 of our closest friends from around the United States, actually around the world, had folks from Ukraine with us, but we were able to um, spend a, a few days in the Holy Land touring Israel, which was an incredible experience. And uh, by the way, I, I think what we're going to do, the schedule is, is crazy leading into Easter, but I think, uh, you know, several people have said, hey, we'd love to see some of the pictures from your trip um, and, and just hear some of the highlights. And so I think what we're going to do for anybody who wants to on Sunday, April the 8th, um, we're going to just set a time aside where you can come and we'll share some of the highlights and, and also um, here's some opportunities for some, an, an up, upcoming trip um, if you'd ever be interested in that. So be a great opportunity for you to do that. But it's great to be back. Somebody said to me, man, you may not want to leave town anymore because uh, Pastor Dustin and Pastor Justin just killed it while you were gone. And yeah, let's, yeah. And um, my, my response to that is, yay God for that. Um, we're not a personality-driven church. We're a church that's driven to pursue a person, and a person of Jesus Christ. And whoever that he appoints and anoints at a given time to bring the word, it's not about them, it's about him. And so we're really blessed, though, to have a staff who is... Uh, diligent at pursuing him and being in, spending time in his presence and being in his presence so that he can speak to them and then allow them, them to share with us what he is saying to them. And so thank you, Pastor Dustin and Pastor Justin. Uh, the, the cool thing is, is um, I got to, well, the first week we were in Israel uh, when Pastor Dustin spoke, and it was about 6 p.m. while you were meeting here but, man, I was so blessed to be able to watch the service online. We had a little group in Israel that was sitting in the lobby of the hotel, uh, gathered around my iPad, uh, watching the service, which was really cool. And then last week, we came home. I decided to, to bring pneumonia home with me. And so last week was just under the weather, but we're, was able, Laura and I were able to watch it um, in, in our living room. And uh, we, we, don't, we don't make mention of this a lot, but, man, shout out to... Drew and Crystal Worcester and Justin Rabel, our tech team. For yeah, thank you guys. What a what a blessing it is to be able to still participate in the service, even though we can't be here in person. And I know uh, this morning that there are many watching online, so we say good morning to you as well. But it's great to be here this morning. And um, I was preparing this last week, and I don't know um, if you've ever had the privilege of sitting at the bedside of someone who is about to transition from uh, this life to the next. But if you have, uh, you know that last words are really important. In fact, I believe that a person's final words uh, have the potential to reveal not only what might be on their heart at the time, but, but, but actually have the potential to reveal the very nature of a person. Uh, right before Laura and I moved here to Lincoln, uh, my grandmother on my mom's side, my grandma Deal, passed away. And, and in the weeks leading up to her death, Laura and I had the, the honor and the privilege to, to be able to spend a, a lot of time with her. Uh, my grandfather had passed away. They'd been living in Tennessee. 
And uh, one of my aunts uh, helped my grandmother move to Olathe, Kansas, so she could care for her. And we were, of course, in Spring Hill, which is uh, really close to there. And so we got to spend a lot of time with my grandma in those days and weeks leading up to her death. And uh, those are some of the most precious, uh, treasured times that I think I ever got to spend with my grandma. Uh, her health had, had been declining for a while, and after my grandpa died, um, she, was, she was ready to go to heaven. In fact, one of the things that she asked over and over again was like, why am I still here? Uh, I am, she's, you know, she's saying, I'm ready to go. Um, and I don't understand why I'm still here. And so she knew that it wouldn't be long. And, and it became very important to her to spend as much time as she possibly could with her family. And in those final conversations, my grandmother left no doubt as to what was most important to her. In fact, on one afternoon, Laura and me and my cousin, uh, Brooke, were there alone with my grandmother, and she began to tell the story about how she came to Jesus. Um, I'd, I'd actually never heard it before, but she told about how growing up, her father, my great-grandfather, was a severe alcoholic, and, and so she had a, a pretty tough life growing up. And this was right in the middle of the Great Depression, and so things were tough anyway, but because my great-grandfather, uh, because of his uh, addiction to alcohol, he, he couldn't hold down a job. And so they lived in severe, severe poverty. She told about how one time when he had disappeared for a few days on a drinking binge, which wasn't uncommon, my great-grandmother packed up her three young children. The youngest was a baby. And on foot, they fled to a neighboring town. My great-grandmother uh, was a seamstress, and so she was able to find a little work, and they found a little apartment to live in, which uh, just so happened to be across the street from a little Nazarene church. And it just so happened that this little Nazarene church was in the midst of revival services when they moved in. Anybody remember those? <laughs> Well, um, my grandma said that at night, the music got really loud. Thank God for loud worship music, right? Thank God for loud worship music, right? There we go. There we go. The music was really loud. And uh, they had no AC, and so their windows were open, and they heard this music coming in, and it captured the attention of my grandmother and her older sister, and they wanted to find out what in the world's going on over there. It sounds interesting. And so uh, that night at 12 years old, my grandmother uh, and her sister went to the service, and for the very first time, they heard about a loving God who promised to be a father to the fatherless. And even though she said she didn't quite understand it at the time, she said, uh, she and her sister, they began to weep uncontrollably. And when the, the pastor gave the invitation, she said they were just kind of supernaturally drawn to the altar. Didn't even know what an altar was. But they were drawn to it. And man came down and knelt and prayed with them. And he brought his 11-year-old son, who also prayed over these two broken little girls. And my grandma said that after she had prayed and received Christ, she looked up and she was just totally taken in by the kindness of this man and his son. 
And then with a sparkle in her eye, she said, I determined right then and there that that boy was going to be my husband. <laughs> Which indeed happened. Years later, uh, my grandpa was actually there and helped lead my grandmother to Christ. And in those last conversations with my grandma, she made it very clear what was most important to her. I mean, she could have talked about anything, but, but what was on her mind, what was important to her was heaven and Jesus and grandpa and her family. It really is true. A person's last words have the potential to reveal not only who they were in life, but also what was most important to them. You know, the Bible tells us that on the day that Jesus died, he spoke some very important words. They, they were the last words before he died. And so this morning, we're going to launch into a brand new series. We're calling it Life-Giving Words of a Dying Man. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks leading up to Easter is I, I just want to spend some time looking at these last words that Jesus spoke before his death. And so this morning, we're going to concentrate on the very first words that Jesus spoke from the cross. They're recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, let me just kind of set the stage a little bit for us before we pick up the story in Luke chapter 23. Uh, Jesus had been arrested again a little over a week ago. Laura and, and I and Bev and, and Jerry Clark were actually at the spot there in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and then he was betrayed and he was arrested. And then, then he was drug up these, these steps. I think we have pictures of the steps. that He was drug up these steps from the garden to Caiaphas, the high priest's house. And there at Caiaphas' house, Jesus, he's enforced to endure this bogus trial. He, he, he's beaten, he's battered, he's thrown into a pit. We stood in the pit, didn't we? This, this pit, this dark pit that was down about 15 feet with a hole in the top where they had thrown him down in this pit in the dark at night all, all by himself. He, he's, he's been whipped almost to the point of death. He's totally humiliated, made fun of, spit upon, forced to wear a crown of thorns upon his head. And, and Luke tells us that after all of that Ultimately, Jesus has to stand before Pilate, and he is condemned to death. He's forced by the Roman soldiers to carry this heavy cross up a, a steep hill. Man, I can't tell you how steep these hills are. I mean, a steep hill. And he carries this cross up a steep hill to a place called Golgotha, which is where I want to pick up Luke's story. In Luke chapter 23, verse 32, Luke writes that two others, both of them are criminals, they, they were led out to be executed with him. Luke says, when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to a cross. And, and these two criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus speaks these words, Luke says. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
Luke says, while all this is going on, that the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too, Luke says, by offering him a drink of sour wine. And then they, they called out to him, if you really are the king of the Jews... Then save yourself. I, I, I want you to just, to just close your eyes for just a moment. Everybody close your eyes. And, and I want you just to try and picture this scene in your mind. As you, you have your eyes closed and you picture this scene, can you, can you see Jesus hanging on the cross? Imagine him humiliated, beaten, Bloody, bruised. And as he looks down from the cross, imagine the scene that he sees. He, he sees the Roman soldiers who with no mercy had beat him nearly beyond the point of recognition. In fact, it was, it was those beatings that prompted Isaiah some 700 years earlier to prophesy that his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. There's Jesus hanging on the cross and he sees the religious leaders. Can you see them? These religious leaders who for the past three years they have hounded Jesus and tried to trick Jesus and trap Jesus. And unable to do so, they finally illegally and unlawfully arrest him on trumped up charges. And now here they are as he hangs upon the cross and they're taunting him and they're mocking him. He sees the crowds. There, there's a whole crowd of people that have come to see the show. And there's, there's this crowd there who just a few days earlier, they're hailing him as Messiah and King. How quickly the crowd can turn. Because now, here they are, they're taunting him and they're mocking him. In a moment, in time, you can open your eyes, but in a moment in time, Jesus sees the depth of evil that resides in humanity. As he's on the cross and he looks down, he's able to see the, the, the depth of the evil that resides in humanity. And when you think about who Jesus was as God, he could have called angels to come and bring vengeance upon them all and rescue him from the cross. He could have done that. He was God. But instead, we're told that what he does is he pulls himself up with all of his strength. And he speaks these words that I believe are the most amazing, magnificent words ever spoken. He says, Father, to the ones that he's looking at, he says, Father, forgive them because they have absolutely no clue what they're doing. The very first, last words that Jesus speaks are these words of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I find that simply amazing, unfathomable. 
Now, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, but these, these first words that Jesus speaks are actually in the form of a prayer. Jesus is actually praying. He's speaking to his Father. And, and I say this shouldn't be a surprise to us because the, the spiritual discipline of prayer was woven all throughout Jesus' life. When he began his ministry three years earlier, the very first thing that he did was what? He went into, into the desert, into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days. And, and all throughout his gospels, we're told that Jesus had this habit that he would, he would sneak away, he would find a solitary place, and he would spend time alone with his father in prayer. Prayer was a significant part of Jesus' life. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that the very first words that Jesus speaks from the cross is a prayer. He prays. And this shouldn't be a surprise either that he prays not only, he doesn't pray for himself, the very first words. I mean, Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. He prayed earlier, you know, not my will, but your will. And so he prays, not for himself, but he prays, Father, forgive them, forgive them. And so the natural question is, who was the them that Jesus was praying for? This is important. Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Remember, last words are important. When we could talk about anything that we want to talk about, the very first thing that Jesus chooses to do is to pray, and he prays not for himself, he prays for them. So who is the them? The, the obvious answer to that question is the them have to be the people we just mentioned, right? It, they had, it had to be the people that Jesus is looking down at as he hung dying on the cross. I mean, when you think about it, if there's ever a group of people who needed forgiveness, it had to be the Roman soldiers. I mean, when, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he's looking at the very ones who, had, who, who still had his blood on their hands and on their, clo on his, their clothes. That They were the ones who had whipped him and beat him. They were the ones who had violently and maliciously nailed him to the cross. And now as he looks down, he, he sees them, they're gambling for the last of his worldly possessions. And so without question, when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, surely he had to be praying for them, right? And, and then obviously, there, there were the religious leaders. I mean, even though they may have been too proud to recognize it, they certainly needed Jesus' forgiveness, I mean, these were the guys who had hounded Jesus for most of his ministry. They were the ones who had contemplated and connived and conspired to trick and to trap him. That they were the ones who loved to use their religion, the law, like a club. These were the guys who had trumped up the false charges and then paid people off to give false testimony. These were the guys who had made it their, their, their mission to ensure that Jesus was right where he found himself in that moment. And now here they are at the foot of the cross, not to grieve Jesus or grieve for Jesus, but the reason that they're there is because they want the last voices that he hears to be their mocking voices. I mean, if there's anyone who needed forgiveness, it had to be these hypocritical religious leaders that Jesus cries out, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
And then, of course, there was the crowd. I'm sure that as Jesus looked down from the cross, he recognized some of their faces. Because these were the same people who just a few days earlier were shouting as he came down the Mount of Olives, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These were the same ones who were rallying for him to be crowned as king as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And again, it's amazing how quickly people's hearts can change because now, like, like the flick of a switch, their cries change from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, obviously, these people desperately needed forgiveness. And so it had to be for them that Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. They know what they do. And I, I do. I believe with all of my heart that when Jesus prayed those words, his prayer was indeed intended for each and every one of them. Which, which by the way, this has to be one of the most amazing pictures of mercy in all of Scripture, don't you think? To, to think that after all of the horrible things that all of these people did to Jesus, to put him on the cross, that in his moment of suffering and death, he would stop and pray for them. Let that be an example for us. This has to be absolutely one of the most powerful images in all of Scripture. But, but as I, I think about that this morning, I believe that there was somebody else that Jesus also included in his prayer that day. In fact, I have no doubt that while Jesus was hanging there on the cross, his prayer was not just for the soldiers that punished him and the religious leaders who condemned him. His prayer wasn't only for the crowd who mocked him. I believe that as Jesus hung dying on the cross that day, that he looked beyond those who were there. In fact, I believe that he looked down through the corridors of time and he saw you and he saw me. He, he saw every failure. He saw every mistake. He saw every act of rebellion, every sin that you ever committed, every sin that I've ever committed. And when Jesus said those words, when he prayed that prayer, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. I believe with all my heart that you and me were included in that prayer. Thanks be to God. We were included in the them that Jesus prayed for that day. You see the incredible power of the words that Jesus cried out from the cross it is that they were prayed not only for those who physically stood by the cross, but for all of us as well. That the power of the crucifixion is not just that it was an event, even though it was an event in time, in history, but the power of the crucifixion is not just that it was an event that transcends time, but, but all the power of the cross is that it reveals a couple of very important things to us. First of all, 
I believe with all of my heart that Jesus' prayer reveals to us something very important. It reveals the Father's heart. Jesus' prayer reveals the heart of the Father. In fact, probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. We, all, we know this, right? In fact, why, why don't you, it's up on the, let's put it up on the screen. Why don't we just say this together out loud, okay? Read this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Hallelujah. That's it. That, that, that's it. You want to know what God's disposition towards you is. The enemy tries to fill our hearts and minds with all of the things that, that, that he tries to tell us that God feels about us. That, you know, God is angry with you. He's mad at you because you've blown it again. God, 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 God is just waiting to bring the hammer down. If you want to know what God's disposition to you is, it's this. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That's it. That's it. And I believe this morning that if we could just embrace that reality, that there is a God who is so madly in love with you, and if you could just understand that, that Jesus, as he was, what he was screaming from the cross through his death, was what he was saying was, I love you this much. I love you this much that I am willing to lay my life down for you. That's how much I love you. And that's exactly what he did. He put his money where his mouth was. He, he died in order to make a way for you and me to be reconnected with God. He was the connecting point that connected us to the Father. But not only did Jesus' prayer reveal his Father's heart, his prayer totally and fully revealed his mission. Jesus was a man on a mission. Make no mistake about it, the cross was not plan B. The cross was the mission of Christ from the very beginning. I mean, Jesus could have, at any moment, he could have called for, for angel armies to come and rescue him and destroy everybody that stood against him. He absolutely could have done that. But instead, with all of his strength, he pulls himself up and he offers a prayer of mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because he knew what his mission was. To bring salvation to a sinful world. That, that's why the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome writes these words. He says, while we were still weak. In other words, we didn't have to get it together first. <laughs> while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, Paul says, rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, for a good person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, he goes on to say, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. But more than that, Paul says, more than that, it gets even better than that. We even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, we are no longer enemies of God because of our sin. Because of Christ, we have been reconciled to God. <clears throat> and this happened while we were yet sinners. We didn't have to get it all together first. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus had a mission. And the cross was at the very center of his mission. You see, something significant happened at the cross. It was at the cross that Jesus, who was pure and righteous, he never committed a sin in his life. It was at the cross that Jesus, pure and righteous, sinless, took all of your sin and my sin, all of our mess-ups, all of our deliberate acts of disobedience, all of our failures, all of the things that we deserve punishment for. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death, that what we earn because of our disobedience is death. He took all of that, all of that sin upon himself, and he credited his right standing with God to us. Listen, listen to how Paul says it. Paul says, God made him who had no sin, get this, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, on the cross, Jesus, who is perfect and sinless and holy, and we who are unholy and sinful and unrighteous, Jesus took all of our junk and became that and nailed it to the cross. But not just that, he took all of his rightness and goodness and good standing and he put that on us. And so when God looks at us in Christ, he sees the righteousness of his son. That's what he sees. He doesn't see a failure and a mess up. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus, for all who are in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. The, the fact, and the fact that Jesus devoted one of his last statements to forgiveness tells us something very significant. It is this. Forgiveness is something that we all need. He spoke these words universally. All of us need forgiveness. In fact, Paul writes again in, in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned. Everybody's included in this deal. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's very clear, the Bible says that we've all sinned, we've, we've all strayed from the path, we've all missed the mark, we've all willfully violated the way that God intended for us to live. Not, not only in terms of our relationship with Him, but also in terms of our relationship with each other. We've all done things. We've all done things that have hurt other people. One of the most impactful moments for me kind of came as a surprise on the trip. Um, we had sailed on a boat across the Sea of Galilee. And we came, uh, first of all, to the Mount of the Beatitudes. And 
we, we heard the Sermon on the Mount, but then we went to this place called the Primacy of Peter. And it was a place along the Sea of Galilee where after Peter had denied Christ three times and Jesus was, was crucified and he rose from the dead and Peter and the disciples, they didn't know what to do at this point in time. And so Peter said, let's do what we, you know, what we know. Let's go fishing. And so they went back fishing because they were fishermen. And they were out fishing and, and all of a sudden they, they see somebody on the shore. They hadn't caught anything all night and they see somebody on the shore and they hear him say, hey, how's it going? Did you caught anything? It was like, no, we haven't had any luck. How about you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? Peter's like, that kind of sounds familiar. So they do it. They throw their nets on the other side and they catch more fish than what they can get in the boat. And all of a sudden, it hits Peter. I know who this is. And so he jumps into the water. He swims to the shore. And there Jesus is. He's prepared a fish breakfast for his disciples. In that moment, he, Jesus asked Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter, before, you know, he had been a big mouth, and he'd had a big head, and he told Jesus, you know, Jesus, I love you. I'll do anything for you. I'll die for you. But when the rubber met the road, he denied Christ three times, right? Now, Peter's not going to make the same mistake again. He says, Jesus, you know, I think a lot about you. You're a good friend. Jesus said, no, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Finally, Peter says, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And it was in that moment that Jesus restored Peter. We had the opportunity to take our shoes off and roll our pant legs up and stand in the water. One of the things that was the, the one that was leading the time that morning encouraged us, you know, if there's, you know, to whom, to those of us who have been forgiven, we're also to forgive, right? And so he encouraged us, think of if there's somebody in your life you haven't forgiven, this is a good time to do it. And I sat there and I thought, and I, I, God's really helped me. I've done that work. You know, I, 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 and it, I had to do that work, and it was work, but I'd done it. But all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with the thought. I wonder how many people could stand in these waters, and my name would come to their mind when they think about who they need to forgive. Because I've blown it. I've hurt people. I've done it on accident. I've done it on purpose. We all need forgiveness. And Jesus reveals to us this is his mission. This is his gift that we cannot earn. There's nothing that we could do to earn it. Again, I quoted this verse earlier. The wages of sin is death. And that would put us in quite a predicament if it weren't for the second part of that verse because the second part of that verse says, yeah, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God's gift of forgiveness is extended to us not because we did anything to deserve it. God's gift of forgiveness is offered to us simply because God is a God of grace and mercy. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes, For it is by God's grace that you have been saved. Through faith. It's not, your, it's not the result of your own efforts, Paul says, but God's gift so that no one can boast about it. I, I, I want to just pause here for a moment and say this. 
Does that light keep coming on and off? Good. Because inside there was something saying, don't run towards the light, don't run towards the light. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that we were all seeing the same thing. But, but listen, I, I, I want to make sure that this is clear. That while it's true, God's grace is a free gift. His forgiveness is free. It is not cheap. But while God's grace is free, it certainly isn't cheap. And one of the things that we, we should understand, when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, carrying our sin, pleading for our forgiveness, one of the things we're intended to see is the costliness of God's grace. Our sin is not to be considered just no big deal. Because Jesus suffered and died for it. And it's only when we understand the significance of our sin that we can truly comprehend what an incredible gift God's grace is. And so not only does Jesus' prayer teach us that forgiveness is something that we all need, you know, it's, it's something that we can't earn, but, but it also demonstrates to us that forgiveness is something that we are expected to give away freely. The grace that Christ demonstrated on the cross, this gift that he's given to us, it's also an example for us to follow. You know, it's interesting when Jesus prayed these words from the cross, Father, forgive them, he chose to pray them out loud. I mean, he, he could have prayed them silently. God still would have heard him. But it's as if he wanted all of us to hear him too. You have to remember, Jesus was a teacher, and, and it seems obvious that he wanted to take this opportunity to demonstrate what he'd been trying to teach to us all along. He had been saying these things over and over and over again, like, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. He, he said things like, love your enemy and pray for those who mistreat you. And when his disciples came to him and said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he said, pray like this. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And, and let me just tell you from personal experience, I know it's one thing to talk about forgiveness. It's one thing to stand up here and teach about forgiveness. But it's a whole other thing to actually live it out and model it. It's a lot easier to talk about it than actually do it because forgiveness is, is tough. It's messy business. Trust me, I know. And, and for whatever reason, you know, there's something inside of each of us that tends to cry out for justice when somebody wrongs us, but we cry out for mercy when we wrong somebody else. But here stands Jesus in the midst of the most unimaginable circumstances and it's almost as if he he becomes this living illustration of what he's been trying to communicate all this time he says hey i really am serious about this forgive those who persecute you stuff and listen folks if we if we truly want to follow christ we we must not only be willing to receive forgiveness but we have to be willing to freely give it as well. I titled the 
first message of this series, a word of forgiveness. And I wrestled with that a little bit because, um, you know, it is about forgiveness, but I, I could have called it a word of freedom. <laughs> because freedom is always the product of forgiveness. Always. Whether, whether we're asking for it and receiving it or whether we're giving it, forgiveness always leads to freedom. My, my, my grandma, Deal, experienced that truth firsthand. And it changed her life forever. In fact, um, that, that event had such an impact on her life that nearly 80 years later, in her last days, this is what was on her mind. This is what she wanted to talk about. And as a result of the forgiveness that she had received, eventually she was able to offer that same forgiveness to her alcoholic father. I, um, I wish I could tell you that my great-grandpa, Deathridge, immediately received Christ and lived out the remainder of his days as a Christ follower, free from the bondage of alcohol. I wish I could tell you that. That's, that's not the way it worked out. I, I, I never knew him, but, I, but I'm told that mostly he lived on the streets. Everybody knew who my great-grandfather was. My great-grandpa was the town drunk. And after my grandparents were married, um, my, my grandfather answered a call to ministry and one of the people that he continually felt compelled to reach out to in love was his father-in-law, my great-grandpa. my great -grandpa. My, my grandpa would be the one who would pick up my great-grandpa when the authorities called because they'd picked him up and he had been drunk and caused some sort of disturbance. My grandpa was the one who visited my great-grandpa in the hospital on the numerous occasions that he'd nearly drank himself to death. And regardless of how deeply my great-grandfather had embarrassed and wounded my grandparents, which he did both of those, they lived in a small town. Regardless of how deeply he embarrassed and wounded them, they were determined to just keep showing him the grace and love of Jesus that they had received. Sometimes that's harder to do with the people closest to us than it is. Sometimes we can do that with people who aren't close to us because the ones closest to us hurt us the deepest, right? On one occasion, when my great-grandfather was hospitalized after once again overdosing on alcohol, my grandpa did what he had done time after time after time. He, he went to the hospital, he sat with my great-grandfather, and he did his best to share the good news of Christ's love and forgiveness. I don't know how many times my great-grandfather heard that story, the story of Christ's love, the story of Christ's forgiveness. And I don't know how many times he bought into the lie, you know what, you've gone too far, you've done too much, you're just too much of a mess. I don't know how many times. But for whatever reason, this time was different. This time, my great-grandpa's eyes were open, and for the very first time, he finally understood that regardless of what I've done, regardless of how many times I've blown it, 
and blown it big. That is, Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. He was talking about me. And so after years and years and years and years, my, my great-grandfather, Deathridge, the town drunk, invited Jesus to be the forgiver of his sins and the leader of his life. My, my grandma told me that not long after that, my great-grandfather was still in the hospital and my, my grandpa had a dream. And in this dream, my grandpa saw my great-grandfather standing in front of Jesus. And he had these chains that just were all around him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And in this dream, my grandpa said that Jesus reached out, he spoke a word, and all of the chains fell off. And my great-grandfather was finally free. He woke up the next morning, got a call from the hospital that in the night, my great-grandfather had passed away. That he had transitioned from this life to the next life. And he had finally experienced the freedom that his heart longed for. You see, it was for freedom's sake that Christ came. It was forgiveness that he hung on the cross. And, and I, and I want to invite the band to come this morning. <coughs> And if there's anybody here this morning, and maybe there is, there's somebody and, you know, you feel just like my great-grandpa. You feel just like I felt before I came to understand the forgiveness of Christ. You've been locked up and bound up by things like guilt and regret. Trust me this morning. I know what it feels like. I know what it's like to, to fail more times than you can count. But the reason that I'm standing here this morning and the reason, the only reason that I can is because I also know what it is to experience the mercy of a God who took my sin and became that for me. I know what it's like to walk in the incredible freedom that comes as a result of receiving and embracing the forgiveness that Jesus offered through the cross. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that by the, for, by the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, we've been set free. You see, this is a word of, of forgiveness, but it's a word of freedom this morning. So here's what I want to do today. I want to just give you an opportunity to do some business with the Jesus that we've been talking about. The band's going to play. and These altars, they're always open. And, and there's nothing, you know, supernatural about them. They're just a good place to pray. And so this morning, if you'd like to come and maybe kneel at one of them and pray, you can do that. I've also asked Tom and Karen Barrett, and I'm going to ask Laura um, to join me. And Laura and I are going to come on this side, and Tom and Karen on this side, and we've got some anointing oil. And if you'd like to be anointed for and prayed for. I know this morning, you know, the focus has been on forgiveness and freedom. 
but, but we just believe that God wants us to be a house of prayer and we pray for all things. And there may be something that's going on in your life. You just want somebody to pray for you. Maybe you need healing in some way or another. So we're just going to let the Holy Spirit have his way over these next few minutes. I want to invite you to stand with me. And the band's going to lead us in this song. And if you want to come kneel at the altar, you can do that. If you want somebody to pray for you, you can do that. Or you can just be in an attitude of prayer where you're at. But just be obedient to how the Holy Spirit leads you this morning. Don't deserve it. Poor 
Father God, we're so thankful for your forgiveness, God, for your love, for your sacrifice. God, that no matter what we've done, no matter what our past, no matter what wants to haunt us, God, no matter how heavy the chains feel, God, that just like Doug's great-grandpa, you are a chain breaker. So God, I just pray for everybody here, whether down at the altar or in their seat, if they need to experience forgiveness from you this morning, I just pray that for them. I pray that over them, God, that they would experience the freedom that's found in your forgiveness. God, if there's anybody here that needs to forgive someone, I pray that you would give them the courage to not only do that in their heart, but to seek that person out and make amends so that they can experience the freedom that's found in that forgiveness. God, you're so good to us. We love you and we worship you this morning. And everybody said, amen, amen. Now, there's still some people up here at the front. We want to be respectful to them. But you would have received a Connect card in your program this morning. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But on the back of that Connect card, there's an invitation. If today is the first time that you ever asked God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, please mark that. Before we turn these Connect cards in, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to help you begin this journey of restoration with Jesus. Give us the opportunity to pray for you. There's a few other things that you can mark on there as well, but one of the other things that we love to do as a staff is we love to pray for you. We have a leader and a pastor who practices what he preaches, and we as a staff love to lift you up and to join with you. So please include your prayer requests and your praise reports so that we can do that with you guys. So as you leave, leave quietly. I would ask that you uh, save your conversations for out in the lobby so that we can be respectful for those that are up here at the front that are still receiving prayer. But be blessed as you go. We'll see some of you tonight. We'll see you next week. Love you guys.